You're listening to The Midday Grind with Martin Kilcoin and Charlie Marlowe on 590 The Fan and 590TheFan.com. There's no stopping us right now. I feel so close to you right now. Twelve thirty-five. Welcome back. Midday grind. Five ninety. The fan. Five ninety. The fan. dot com. The post Christmas holiday special edition here with Charlie Marlowe, Jim Hewer, Brian Hoffman, Matt Rocchio, Martin Kilcoin on assignment for the rest of the week. We put out all the questions for Twitter on the Twitter polls and also our own text line here eight five five two eight two eight two five five. Best Christmas gift you gave, you got. Best story, sports story, locally, nationally, twenty eighteen. And what you're most looking forward to coming up sports-wise 2019. Got a few responses here. Best sports story on the text line from the 325 area code, which is Stan from Abilene, Texas. Best sports story for 2018 was Loyola of Chicago making it to the Final Four. Look to 2019 and Tiger Woods winning a major. A couple Tiger Woods answers. Somebody else, uh, as we were talking about 23andMe, the medical breakdown from 23andMe can help with genetic defects and allergies you may have. It's actually saved lives. So how about that? I could deal with that. Here we go, Rock. Why would anybody with a brain watch one minute of the NBA? I guess wow. LeBron Uh-oh. will blame the NFL owners for his groin injury. What a loser. That's from the 314. I'm actually a big LeBron fan, but... In terms of a big NBA fan, and he's laughing right now, I don't know why, but Matt Rocchio, I used to actually be very into the NBA. I grew up a big Pistons fan. I watched the Pistons all the time. I've moved to St. Louis, and I feel like St. Louis, especially in Sports Talk Radio, they just don't necessarily want to talk about the NBA. With Christmas, it's the big— You do disagree? Frank talks NBA, and we get a good response when he does that. I feel like there's a lot of people that complain, though. No, No, there are. Where does Vogel? It's a vocal minority. But I feel like my my point is that I hate the NBA. Living also, in his, living in St. Louis, those historic, kind of, <laughs> historically, you know, there's two franchises that had attendance, and I get that. attendance issues, right? Like, and but I'm that, saying that essentially bottomed them 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 out. So I mean, I understand it's not that. insane. But living in St. Louis has kind of sapped my NBA joy because I feel like here nobody cares as much. But somebody that does is Matt Rocchio. Matt Rocchio, tell people our great listeners how you spent your Christmas. Oh, I uh, I watched about. I said I woke up, uh, went to uh, restore the food stuff at uh, Walgreens because well, Schnooks was closed. Good for them, you know. Good for them giving everybody a day off. And I felt like a jerk that I I procrastinated. I had like no food in the house, and I had to go to Walgreens to get food because I felt bad for making people actually work on on Christmas. Like I felt like a jerk. But anyway, and then at eleven o'clock, you know, the Bucks and the Knicks t- tipped off, and I. Proceeded to watch 13 hours of basketball with a, with a one straight. with a one hour nap in there. That's a beautiful. Nap. Yeah, and and the what best part is again, again, I, I was I was I was drinking a lot of soda and then I, I tapered off, had some water, and then the and then and then, and then the, the sugar crash hit and I had a had to take a little bit of a nap. Also, the game. Also, I wasn't the the seventy sixers and Celtics game wasn't that great at, at, at the beginning. I woke up and saw the end of it. Um, but I slept through like late first quarter through the most of the third quarter. Um, it was a solid nap, and and then while I was watching, solid nap. The best part is while I was watching these this thirteen hours of basketball, um, I was pretty much reading Bill Simmons' book of basketball the entire time because I just bought that because I've read excerpts throughout the last few <laughs> years, but I've never actually sat down and read it cover to cover. 
So it was just 13 hours just straight basketball. It was fantastic. I heard that's a great book, actually. It's fantastic. And it's really long, so correct? Good. Yeah, but it's 13 really good. hours. He has one chapter that has 90 footnotes. Jeez, oh, Pete. It's, 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 wow. it's, I think the footnotes actually might be longer than the chapter. It's absolutely insane. But it's a, it's, fan, it's a fantastic book. And the way he references to all these other basketball books is really good. I already kinda, I'm already kind of keeping a list. Um, that I then he referred that he puts a list in the back of the book, so then I got to delete that list. But anyway, I'm going to go through and, and buy a bunch of those books as soon as I finish Book of Basketball because it biggest, really is incredible. Your biggest take from reading that book yesterday? Um, we don't talk about the fact that the St. Louis Hawks almost beat the Celtics. With, I mean, they did beat them one time, but the first year when they lost to them, we don't talk about how essentially the Hawks almost won on what was essentially a better version of the uh, of the Christian Leitner shot. They threw. They drew up a pass where they threw the ball from under the opponent's basket off their own backboard to the point where it bounced back right to um, Bob Pettit, who was waiting on the foul line, who would just catch it and put it right back in. Okay, I didn't that, know that worked. Pettit, yeah, Pettit, that that works. literally worked exactly how they drew it up. Pettit literally full court pass from the other um, basket, hit it off the backboard, bop, bop, right into Pettit's hands. Pettit just missed the uh, missed the jumper. They would have beat the Celtics two years in a row if Pettit just hit that. It's honestly crazier than the Leitner shot, and I had never heard that story before, and I can't believe I had never heard that they almost won on what honestly would be one of the most improbable last-second shots ever be. drawn up. Yep. I love the passion for the NBA. You can just you can hear it in his voice. You can see it here in studio, how excited he gets for the NBA. And again, I used to always watch Christmas basketball. You look forward to it. And now I do like to gamble here and there. Did you bet, and did you bet yesterday? I did, but look. Oh, good for you. But look. I have a, a Twitter site that I've been following for the last couple of weeks right now. And again, maybe this will end, but they do it all mathematically. They just base it on an algorithm. They give out picks. And so they're 60.4% on their picks for the NBA. So I just basically tail their picks. I do exactly what they tell me to do, and it's been successful for a couple of weeks here. So I actually threw down some bets yesterday, but I didn't watch one second of any of the games. Really? So it's kind of, for me, the best of both worlds. And then at the end of the day, I checked my account. Made a couple bucks. I was surprised, though, that Brian Hoffman, hashtag went blanket, actually said that you appreciate NBA basketball on Christmas more than yeah, NFL I, I football Yeah, I prefer watching the NBA on December 25th than I do football on Thanksgiving. I just, I think it's a better, I think the NBA is a better television product now than the NFL is. Really? Yes, I do. I, I think it's more fun to watch. I think it's quicker, which helps. And I, I just think the individual talent is, is more enjoyable just to sit down and relax and and watch, I watched a, a hefty portion of the Lakers and the Warriors. I was in and out on the Sixers and Celtics. I watched. I love watching Giannis, so I watched as much of the Bucks Knicks game that I that I could. It's just, I just think there's more widespread talent, and there are more teams worth watching in the NBA than there are teams worth watching in the NFL. The fact that it was Christmas made me remember my second favorite anecdote from the Book of Basketball. Here we so go. Far, I like this. A Christmas Day game. Larry Bird walks up, was talking to a player pregame, and says, "Hey, man, I got a present for you. I'll give it to you later." Apparently, he then hit a three in front of that uh, the other team's bench, turned around and said, Merry F and Christmas. That's beautiful. Which is honestly that's, my favorite Larry Bird trash-talking story ever. And I thought it was always going to be the three-point contest one, but that one easily tops it. And so give us the breakdown yesterday, because I think people will care about this, even though some people are complaining on the text line about the NBA. It, one, it is actually— One guy is. Okay, one. but somebody else. So it's 50-50 right now. It's the vocal minority, I also have people on out. Twitter as well. But uh, so LeBron— 
gets injured yesterday. Yeah, and that was the, MRI, he says he heard MRI something pop. Came back clean. Okay, yeah, came, so that's came good. Back clean. So that was the biggest takeaway from the entire night was the was the Lakers beating the Warriors, and, and it was one thing when they were doing it with LeBron. But the biggest takeaway is that LeBron feels the pop already when the Lake the Warriors were already starting the kind of the run on the Lakers to to get it going, and then LeBron feels the pop. I think he had just extended to a five or seven point game after like it got down to three, and the Warriors didn't finish him off as soon as LeBron exited the game. The Lakers actually extended their lead and eventually won the game by what twenty six. And so that was the craziest part. It, it's because and it was and they extended the lead pretty much in the middle of the third quarter back on like back-to-back threes from Lance Stevenson. And then early in the fourth, Rajon Rondo hit an open three. And I'm like, when those guys are hitting jumpers, either this is going to be a much different Lakers team come, you know, May and June, or this is just a certain day where you're just not going to beat a team when those guys are hitting jumpers. That's what really surprised me because apparently too, in previous couple games, the Warriors had had some big second half comebacks. So even if, even if LeBron was healthy, you thought there was a good chance the Warriors come back and win that game when they were down whatever it was, 15, 17 points. And then you see, oh, crap, LeBron is injured. He leaves the game. And, again, I wasn't watching, but I was checking the box scores. At one point, it's about a three-point game, and you're thinking, oh, if you have a whole fourth quarter, the Warriors are going to run the Lakers out of the gym without LeBron, and it goes the exact opposite, and they win by 26 points. Yeah, and all of a sudden, Draymond Green looks like... Yeah, went what from happened being, to him? Here's the, yeah, he went from being the guy that everyone talked about being like the linchpin, like the, the glue guy that essentially takes the Warriors from being a good team to a great team, and now it looks like he's holding them back by a huge margin. Like, he can't shoot anymore, uh, and that was weird because, it's, I mean, he was never a lights-out shooter, but he was always a guy who would hover around 36 37% from deep on, like, two or three attempts, and that was good enough in the offense because he'd, he'd move the ball on the short roll and things like that, and he played great. I mean, he, I mean, he was six seven, and he, and he would stop centers all the time who were, had seven or eight inches on him, and now there's just none of the – I mean, he, he can't shoot the ball, and he's just – his play's just erratic as all hell, and it's really weird. Um, and DeMarcus Cousins is coming back, and I wonder how that's going to change everything, but it's really weird that not only has his play not been great this entire season, but – there's been a drop off since that suspension, when they notably took Kevin Durant's side. When all all Draymond did was call him a bitch. Um, I mean, come on now, you're you're a grown man. Let's get over it. Who, by the way, fake Twitter profile. So I mean, you should honestly see those insults coming. Um, <laughs> That's fair. So it's been weird that it's been a drop off since then. I'm not I'm not saying Draymond seems like a guy who's like all about winning. So I'm not gonna say that he's gonna be the kind of guy who would tank a team just to because he's he, he's ticked off, but. He certainly not doesn't seem to be playing at the same level that he ever has. He was that he was always that ultimate team guy at Michigan State, remember too. Yeah. And he yeah. was the senior where nowadays you don't see a lot of seniors in college who are good players. So I don't think anybody thought Draymond Green would have this good of an NBA career, especially early. When you're talking defensive player of the year. He fell to the second round. That's what I'm saying. But also, I mean, the offensive stats, and then here he is as a guy who's got a bunch of rings now and he got paid. He's clearly a loose cannon, though. Emotionally, he can kind of just come and go there. But I mean, he uh, cost them. I mean, let's. Yeah, potentially no a mincing, championship. There's no missing words. He cost Absolutely. them the ring. They would have gone four straight if he doesn't get suspended. There's no doubt in my mind. And so he's cost them one championship before because of his uh, because of his poor, you know, in the moment thinking. Now the question is, is he going to cost them a championship because of his long term planned thinking of I'm I'm out on this team because they don't have my back anymore. 
Text line 855-282-8255. Hoffman, you're right. It's just 50-50 here. The NBA sucks. Next topic. But then the next guy is anti-NBA guy is one of the worst. Yes. That's from no, uh, Jim in Richmond. Annoying. They're at the person who brags <laughs> that they don't watch the Super Bowl. They want everyone to know that they don't like it. So whenever it's brought up, they got to voice their opinion about how much it sucks, even though it's as good a product as there's ever been on sports television. Contrarian guy. And, yes. this, and this is why this is my time to say that my thing I'm most excited for, non-local sports. Here we go. Is slightly out of shape white European dudes absolutely dominating in the NBA. Luka Doncic and Nikola Jokic. Okay. Everyone's talking about Luka Doncic because he's a rookie, top three, you know, he's, he's dominating for the Mavs. If you haven't watched Nikola Jokic, just do it. He's this chunky Serbian dude on the Nuggets who literally is just doling out like 15 assists whenever, like on, on national television, whenever he pops up. He's averaging triple doubles like once a week. It's insane. He had a game where he didn't miss a single shot and he ever, and it was like third. It's like 36, 15, and 12 was his line. Yeah, but then it brings so up a bad opinion about how European basketball is better than American basketball. And Listen, Mark Doug Cuban Gottlieb can out. shut it. Yeah, okay. Shut it. Right. I hate Doug now, hold on. so much. I was going to bring that up because oh, he threw out God, there, right, and that. not to get racial, but his, his point was why are Euro whites better than American whites right now? And isn't that not fair to say? Why? Why do you have? No, yeah, it's so been why, there for years. So I mean, you have Gordon Hayward right now. It's it's almost like when you put kids in professional structure from the age of thirteen, and basically make academics and schooling part of their sports training and not the other way around. It's almost like you produce a better systematic athlete than hampering them from being able to seek out a professional career by forcing them to go to school for four years or what have you. It's the same reason why we're not succeeding in like why 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 do European countries that are smaller than us produce better soccer talent because they have those kids practicing at nine years old on specific soccer skills. They grow up in an academy that focuses on soccer as well as academics, but they're built to be pros in a way that it, you know, can be harmful, but I don't think it's any more harmful than, let's say, the AAU circuit is nowadays. And that's why I think that the Euros are doing better. They're taught from a young age and trained in a professional atmosphere, in a team professional atmosphere, for for nine, ten years sometimes before they ever even touch an NBA floor? Don't you think, though, when you're comparing, especially with basketball, if you look at European countries, South American countries, okay, their number one sport is obviously soccer. And their number two sport, I'm guessing, is basketball. That's the other one. In the United States, okay, Mm -hmm. soccer is what? Fifth, sixth, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. In terms of, I get it, a lot of kids play soccer, but in terms of popularity, you're talking NFL, you got Major League Baseball, so you have options where... The best athletes might not go right to. They're certainly not going to soccer. And, and I think that's definitely. I think that's the same thing in soccer. It's the same thing as that where there's other sports that they go to, and there's larger um, infrastructure in those sports. Then I mean, we're talking when we talk about you know some of the best players from Europe right now, especially when I talk about the two guys I'm talking about, the Balkans, Slovenia, Croatia, Serbia. It's pretty much just soccer and basketball. And so that when you're talking about your the, you know your one percent. Of your top athletes, you're only talking about two sports. We're on America, obviously. We're talking about them getting broken up into God knows how many. That's Matt Rocchio. I'm Charlie Marlowe. We got Jim Hewer and Brian Hoffman. You want to tell people about the brewery lights, which Still we still going on. I believe it ends on Sunday. So despite Christmas being over, brewery lights still go on, starting uh, tomorrow through Sunday. Last weekend, better head down to Anheuser Busch to uh, check it out. A holiday movie. They have uh, free beer samples if you wish. Food for purchase as well. It's always a good time at Andrew Bush Brewery Lights. Courtney D. checking in on the text line, 855-282-8255. The NBA is fantastic. So now the non-scientific poll. <laughs> Two people say NBA is good. See, One go. person say it's not, so that's uh, 
67% to 33% right now. The best sports story in 2019 will be the Cardinals front office trying to sell an 85-win season as a success. I have to disagree with that one, right? I mean, they win, they win, hold on, though, but they win 88 games this past year, correct? And then if you just think, I mean, aren't they with, with a healthy Goldschmidt and Miller, aren't they at least, let's say, three wins better? Is that is that fair to to predict that are probably around 90, 91 wins? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that. I also think it's fair to say, maybe an interesting story to look for is if 2018 is another postseasonless season, just look at contracts that they have beyond 2019, you know, what pivot do they make? They've, I know Gould has reported this. They've set themselves up to pivot in any direction they want if the season doesn't go the way they want it to go. So I think that is an interesting thing to, to look forward to is if it's another 88-win year, missing out on the wild card, you know, how do they decide to react to that and what direction do they go? That's interesting. Ozuna, Goldschmidt, what happens in 2019 moving forward with those two guys? Well, you have Ozuna, Goldschmidt, you have Carpenter with a you can throw him an, an option. option. You have Wainwright, who you assume will be gone. Waka, who you assume will probably yep. be gone. Molina entering the last year of his contract in 2020. What do they? How do they assess the catcher position from there? It's an interesting year that, that that's coming up for the franchise. That's kind why of franchise I think, defining offseason next year. That's why I think last year's trading deadline or this past year was so interesting because any of the guys you think they might have actually moved, they couldn't for different reasons. Like Waka, it would have made sense last year with a year and a half of control that he could have been a trade chip, but he of course was injured. We talked a lot about Carlos Martinez as a possible trade chip. He got injured right around trade deadline time. Jose Martinez, where you think they're still basically shopping him but probably haven't gotten good value in return. Last year, because weirdly the American League playoff picture was basically settled, what, 100 games in, in terms of which teams were going to make it, there weren't a lot of options for him at trade deadline, so they kind of had nowhere to go with guys. I mean, we discussed Bud Norris, but what were you going to get for 50 games of Bud Norris? If he went to a contender, he was going to be a seventh-inning guy or an eighth-inning guy. You weren't going to get a ton of return. So that's where I think I think this year for the Cardinals is going to be fascinating and really fun because I would be surprised if they're not in it at trade deadline. And this would be the year where you go for it. And any type of free agent out there who another team wants to get something back for, if it's a superstar, I mean, isn't this the year the Cardinals try to do a lot at the deadline because you have all of these guys with their contracts being up at the end of 19? I think so. The one thing that would switch the other way is if they just have serious injuries and they are way out of it early, then that changes obviously everything. Here's what, in regards to your polls, and I think it's an undervalued story from this past year, 2018, was the Cardinals actually firing a manager in season. And some people did mention that. I, yeah. I think that was a big move for them to do that in the middle of a season was a was a big move. And I know there's a lot of fans that didn't like Matheny and others that did, but the fact that the Cardinals made that choice, I think, was an eye opener that they realized, hey, we have to make some changes. And that was uh, something that we look at it now and we forget about it because it's done and over with. But I think that was something that maybe went under the radar. Brian Hoffman, Chuck, we have our little haven. Yep. We have the end of the day. Both of these. Our Little Haven first. Let's start off with Our Little Haven, a little holiday message from our friends at Our Little Haven. And now, a special holiday letter from Our Little Haven. Dear Our Little Haven, this year, my family has been blessed. We are currently fostering two young boys who came to us the day before Thanksgiving. We welcome them into our home, and we help them feel safe. This Christmas, they will be with us, and we are thankful that we get to share this time with them. Because of your help, 
and the support of the community, David and Daniel will wake up Christmas morning to some special gifts just for them. They are five and seven, but this will be their first time they experience the joy every child deserves this time of year. Fostering these two boys has been a rewarding experience for my family. Thank you for bringing David and Daniel into our lives. Our Little Haven works with young children during the formative years in their lives when the care we provide can do the most good and have a lasting effect. To learn more about the services offered through Our Little Haven or to find out how you can help, visit OurLittleHaven.org. Our Little Haven, one of our favorites. Great charity right there. I also want to tell you, of course, about Offenberg Hyundai. Uh, Hyundai. Martin Kilcoin drives... Uh, Hyundai's from Offenburg and has for several years. Now, Fast Eddie's, we're going to do this for... Offie Offenburg. Offenburg. We're going to do Fast Eddie's for one of these NFL okay. playoff weekends. I promise. A lot of people are asking about this, you honestly. You on a throne of lies. No, I don't. Listen, <laughs> for whatever reason, we've had to reschedule a couple times. Santa Steve is all over this. He's he's mad because I feel like two times we have said, all right, we're going on this particular you feel Saturday. like or that's what happened? No. Well, I, I think we were kind of on the fence about one, and then one we legitimately did have set in stone that we were going to make it, and then we pulled the plug on, like, Thursday. Well, that was a Kenny Wallace <laughs> issue, who yeah. we love, but, of course, Fox Sports was flying Kenny Wallace out to Charlotte to basically yes. celebrate his retirement. So basically something came up, but I do feel bad because Santa Steve, I think twice now, has taken off work, and we've had to reschedule. So we love you, Santa Steve, and I promise this is going to come to fruition at Fast Daddy's Bonaire. We love Fast Daddy's fantastic sponsor. We also love at the end of the day. Okay, when's the end of the day? At the end of the day, it's going to be tough to tell someone they might not be in it. At the end of the day, even though there's moments where you're like, oh, I, you know, I don't want to do this. Uh, real quick, here's some. Here's a kid opening a banana. <laughs> I don't know how else to set it up. Got a banana. That's beautiful right there, Chuck, though. you should do that next year with your daughter, actually. No, it looks to be about I'm telling you. a year you. and a half, too, in this video. We're going to wrap up a remote control because okay. she goes a, she goes crazy for the remote. And look, that's where you spend all the money in the world on your kid, and then they open up a banana, and they're just exuberant. And that's beautiful. Uh, happy Boxing Day, everyone. That's right. A lot of soccer on today, if you have any interest in that. Also, some football news. Good news for Drew Locke. Justin Herbert, the Oregon QB, has announced that he'll be returning for his senior season. Maybe makes Frank's Drew Locke his hundred bucks. Maybe the, the number two now rated quarterback in the draft yeah. class, pushing number one. So Greer is one. Greer. Yeah. yeah, neck and neck. I guess depending on what front office prefers what, but I, I would imagine this almost solidifies Locke unless he bombs the pre-draft workouts. This is a first-round pick. Prediction right now, though. Oh, I think I think that. Okay. Not to use a bad pun, is a lock. <laughs> I'm I'm Ooh, serious though here. Jog. If you had to predict right now, is he top? 5, 10, 15, I'll 20. Say top 15. I'll tell you what. I think I think somebody out there is going to fall in love with Drew Locke. It would not surprise me if he's top 10. It's that wow. position, the quarterback position. Would it surprise you top if he's top 10? 10? That's yeah. what I'm saying. If he's I the 8th so. pick, ninth pick, 10th pick, yep. I, think I would so. be surprised. Because I could see a GM who might get fired one day for this decision falling right. in love with Drew Locke's deep ball on a pre-draft workout in Columbia and, and just saying, okay, we got him. He's our guy. But also a senior who has a ton of tape. Yeah. He played for three and a half, four years, basically. Had a fantastic junior year. Great arm. Uh, statistically, and and the team struggled early but came back. And then this year, not as good statistically, but you could make a case he was actually a better quarterback and a better winning team. Again, it would not surprise me if somebody just falls in love with Drew Locke and he's top 
20, top 15, or if he gets into the top 10. Yeah, top 15, I think, is about a lock. The only issue with top 10, I'd say, is that there's really only two teams right now in the top 10 who you would say are a lock, I think, to take a quarterback with their first pick, and that's the Giants at six. And then I guess maybe you'd say at this point the Jaguars at nine. But those are the only two teams in the top 10 who I think, other than that, everyone else pretty much has, um, I guess the Buccaneers are probably a new candidate as well. All right, that's but other than that, there's not a lot of candidates in the top five. Fantastic show, fellas. Good times. Post-Christmas edition, breaking it all down. We'll do it again tomorrow on the show as Martin Kilcoin is on assignment for the rest of the week. I'll be in with Frank tomorrow at 11. Thank you to Matt Rocchio, to Jim Hewer, to Brian Hoffman. I'm Charlie Marlowe. Thanks for listening. Hope you all had a great Christmas and a good week here before the new year as we celebrate all that we have to be grateful for with just our families and sports and all that. Coming up next, we have the hard line. I haven't seen through the window here. Who do we got coming in? Jim here. TJ John and Rammer and Hadley should be here. TJ Mo, John Hadley, Bob Ramsey. Coming up next on the hard line on 590 The Fan and 590TheFan.com.